The Accounting Insider with Kim Nitschke. My name's Andrew Montessi and I'm here with The Accounting Insider, Mr. Kim Nitschke. Kim, how are you? Yeah, great, thanks. Pretty excited for your first podcast episode. We've been talking about this for a while. Yeah, I, um, I'm really excited about it. I can't wait. Um, it's happened much quicker than I thought. Yeah, so I guess we're just um, wanting to um, put together a podcast which is for um, business owners and also accountants, um, also potentially people who are locked in cubicles who are wanting to go out on their own as potential business owners, um, and just throw some ideas around um, what sort of things uh, I found from my own client experiences and also close friends, the things that I'm learning and that things that they can apply to their own situation that might be of some sort of value. So really it's it's anyone that has an interest in business, whether they, you know, they might be 10, 20 years down the track or they might be just sort of thinking about how they might be able to get a, get out of that rat race. Exactly. So maybe let's start with who you are and what you're doing now. Okay, so um, I started out... Um, uh, doing an accounting course um, in '92, uh, um, I managed to land a job with um, Price Waterhouse Coopers, and uh, I worked for them for about three or four years. Got my qualifications, and then went out and set up my own practice. So I've got an accountancy practice in Adelaide. Uh, I've got three staff, and um, yeah, it all seems to be going quite well. How many clients do you have at the moment? Uh, Twelve hundred. That's that's a pretty sizable amount for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, lo- a lot of those clients we um, we we would sort of uh, only make contact with um, you know a couple of times a year when they're doing their tax return, um, but then we've got a, a smaller group of that, probably around a hundred who are um, uh, dynamic business owners who we speak to on a regular basis, maybe once or twice a week. So I think that what's interesting about you is that you're more than just an accountant who owns an accounting firm. What else, perhaps outside of that accounting world, are you up to? Yeah, so I have a, um, a great little accounting business that runs um, really well. Um, a lot of the time, as you know, without me there, um, <laughs> because I'm always doing other things. I mean, I guess I'm an entrepreneur at heart, um, and that flows through to everything that I do. So um, my accountancy practice, while I'm um, um, actively involved in it, um, I may not be physically present every day, but apart from that, I've got a number of projects which I'm involved in. Um, I do. Um, I've got my builder's license, so I've got a number of projects that I'm um, adding value to by um, either renovating or putting extensions on houses or that sort of thing. So you actually do that work yourself? Yeah, I, I do. I do a sort of a combination of things. I, I have um, subcontractors, a small set that I that I depend on and, and, and work with. But I actually get my hands dirty. Um, on a recent project that I was working on, I um, I did a lot of the jackhammering myself and digging so that I, my, my plumber didn't actually have to uh, do any work. What, um, what, what made you decide to go and get a builder's license and start doing this yourself? Was it just a pure cost thing? It's like, right, you know, I why would I pay someone to do this when I'm capable of doing it myself? Or what were you thinking there? Um, 
Yeah, a lot of the time, <laughs> um, I'm often operating on really tight deadlines. So um, I guess there's two aspects to it. One is cost. I always find that if I'm immerse myself in whatever I'm doing, whether it be helping a plumber out on a job, if I help out, then I really only need to get them in for a much smaller component of the work that they're doing. Um, secondly, if there's a really tight time frame that I'm working towards, I find that if I get in there, it can start tomorrow because I can push other things back. Whereas, if I, you know, often you'll ring up a plumber and he'll have another job on and you'll have to wait two weeks. Yeah, okay. So you've told us a bit how you're renovating, you're doing work on property. How much property do you actually own? And perhaps what's the, the roundabout dollar value? So um, I've got five properties at the moment, um, two residential, three commercial, um, some in um, uh, basically in the CBD. Um, outside of that, I've got um, a property at Mount Barker and one at Summertown. Um, and to, in terms of numbers, well, um, just uh, you know, there were somewhere between five and ten million dollars. Wow, that would be the total portfolio value. I mean, we will in future episodes break down how you built up that property portfolio, but perhaps give us a little bit of a taster and tell us how you started. I mean, were you given, um, were you the beneficiary of a significant estate and you just went and bought up and it's easy as that and the podcast therefore will be pretty lame or have you actually got a decent sort of story to tell? What did you start with? um, my first property investment was a disaster. When I say that, I, I didn't make uh, as much money as I intended. And my 21st birthday, Dad gave me $20,000 as, um, as a gift. So that was my deposit on my first property. Um, so I, I bought a house and two units. I didn't really make a lot of money on that first one. I remember going into ANZ Bank and saying, how much could I borrow? And they said $80,000. Um, but then I shopped around and I found Challenge Bank would lend me 180000 So I was able to get three properties instead of one. Um, but uh, every time I've bought a property, um, I, it, it's been a struggle and I've had to shop around because um, you know the property's been more than what I've been supposed to supposedly borrow. Um, and so I've had to find a lender sort of out there on the peripheral who's been happy to take a punt on me and um, lend me the money. So you, I think based on what you're saying, is you're quite keen to push the limits as far as taking a bit of risk and um, yeah, pushing yourself pretty far. Yeah, yeah I, I am. I, I, uh, someone said to me the other day that I'm a huge risk taker. and I, I don't in fact think I am. I think they're calculated risks. I, I'm happy to, um, if I know that there's a good deal happening with property, I'm happy to put everything I've got on the line if I know that it's a cracker of a deal. Um, so, um, and my, my wife is, um, I run everything by her and she's a somewhat of a handbrake, but um, <laughs> if, if I can't, if I come up with a great idea and she's on board as well, then I know that I can go headlong into the deal. If, if I love it and she doesn't, then I won't even enter into it. But um, yeah, I'm happy to take on board debt and take massive punts on property. As I said, we'll, we will break this sort of side to your life down because I think it's quite interesting um, in future episodes. But, but for now, perhaps take us back a little bit further and um, 
in this pathway to where you are now, were there some key defining moments, key people that sort of helped, you know, provide a light in the darkness to guide you through to where you got to? Uh, what are some of those things? Yeah, so um, uh, I think those, um, there's probably two looking back. One is, um, you know, scoring my first job at university. Uh, I just remember that there were probably 300 accountants that graduated the year that I did at Adelaide University, and there were 20 to 30 jobs available at the end of the year. So it was really a case of, oh my God, how am I going to get a job when there's going to be 270 people missing out? How do I make myself in that, you know, that select little group? My grades at uni were absolutely terrible, uh, mostly P1s or P2s, just scraped through on every front. So every time I'd send in my CV, I'd be at a disadvantage up against the smart people. So I had to sort of work out a way around all of that and to, 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 to um, you know, I guess it's a bit of a story of my life, you know, work a bit harder, find that little edge, that unfair advantage over your competitors in getting the job. I remember at uni, I just landed my first job purely by fluke. I mean, I was pushing hard and looking for opportunities and then there was, I found a tiny little chink in the armour where this firm called, um, at the time, Stephen Searcy Hill, um, they were having some on-campus interviews, but they didn't really advertise it. And I'd sort of heard on the grapevine, there were a couple of mates that they were doing some on-campus interviews at this little... Um, office tucked at the back of the university so I did my research skipped a lecture so that I could go and lock myself in for a for a um, interview but they had 20 places for interviews I managed to secure a place got the job the rest is history but I find that that is a lucky break and so many of my friends missed out because they didn't you know um, follow up on that little mm. bit of tip bit of information that they got yeah you know so that that was a major breakthrough with with a lot of um, you know as as you mentioned the other day um, law graduates, you know, they're in a similar situation where they're pumping out hundreds of graduates and there's very few jobs. I think that, um, you know, it, what I learnt back then with just um, working hard, following up on opportunities, following through, um, that's, that principle still applies today. Um, the other um, major breakthrough for me was um, I, I met a really clever entrepreneurial accountant um, uh, back when I was... Um, getting my qualifications and he was just so different to everyone else I'd met. He drove the Porsche, um, owned his own office, lived in a mansion in Kensington um, and I'm thinking why is this guy different to all these other accountants that were on salaries at the big firms and didn't really have all the assets and the backing behind them that gave the um, perception that they were wealthy whereas he was he was so different and his interviews were just so riveting and every comment that he said to his client was just so interesting. And I just um, listened and hung on to every word that he said when, whenever I had the opportunity to, to sit with him. I used to love it when I was working for him. Most of the time I was locked in his back office, but when I was actually um, invited to sit in on the meetings in the boardrooms, I was just um, totally mesmerised by everything he said. He'd never talk in terms of tax act and section 99 of the income tax act. He's always talking in terms of loopholes and, you know, what can we do to get around this situation and thinking outside the square. Clients used to love him, he used to very rarely lose a client. But so I modelled myself on him. Um, he had a Porsche, I used to sit out in his carport, eat my lunch looking at his Porsche salivating <laughs> over it. I went out and bought exactly the same chance, uh, car when the opportunity arose. So I really modelled myself on him. He's been a tremendous role model in my life, even more so, I guess, than 
my own dad um, because he's just been able to speak into my life, um, give me lots of, uh, you know, um, um, ways in which I can be a better person, better accountant, and, and also gave me a lot of keys into setting up my own business. Yeah. On that, setting up your own business, how did you go making that jump from, I mean, were you, were you one of those guys stuck in a cubicle at PwC or wherever you were? How did you go about making that transition out of that environment into your business, which has become Nitschke Nankara? Yeah, um, so I, I was stuck in that cubicle. I used to um, really struggle with being locked in a back office, reading through tax legislation for eight hours a day. And I was coming to work every day thinking, um, you know, I'm really not learning that much. Um, the, the manager that I had above me often didn't know that much more than myself. So I guess after um, going to work for probably three to six months and thinking, really, I probably know as much as him, um, I thought to myself, you know, it's time that I take the plunge and go out and work for myself. And my wife was really good about it insofar as she, she had a close friend of hers that was an accountant and he was really successful and she said um, we at some point should move out into our having our own practice and she said I'll support you she was a dentist um, while you set up for your first year or two you know we can live off my wage and that was a tremendous comfort for me knowing that um, I always had a fallback there with her yeah yeah that's interesting what do you think what do you think are some of the key barriers to people making that jump? Um, I think it's, um, you know, there's a bit of fear um, and you've got to give yourself a bit of positive self-talk and tell, you, tell yourself that you can do it. I think a key to it um, is having a sort of like a supplementary income on the side. So like when you leave a big organisation, maybe taking one client that will give you the... Um, you know, 20 to 30 to 40 percent of what you were earning at the old role, and that'll be able to put food and um, food on the table. And so there won't you won't be lying. Base. Yeah, it'll give you a base, and you won't be lying awake at night thinking that um, you know um, how do I make budget this week? You just you have your bases covered, and anything that you get over and above that one um, core client is just cream. Yeah, and do you think? Do you also think it's a bit of an attitude thing as well where people are also just prepared to make excuses? They'll talk about it, but ultimately it's, it's that attitude of saying, all right, I'm just going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I set up my business. I tried three times. Um, the third time I was successful. The first two times it was just easier to wimp out and go and work for someone else. Yeah, okay. Well, that's interesting, yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember signing up for my first mobile phone contract and buying a fax machine. And I just was so worried to committing to $60 a month on my, you know, Vodafone plan. <laughs> um, so I, I managed to, I kept the, I think I resold the fax machine on eBay or something. Uh, and, uh, but I kept the mobile phone plan going. Um, but yeah, on, on my first two occasions, I just got so nervous that I went and worked for you know um, another accountancy practice. Just so I just, it, but but at the end of the day, I still had that goal, but it, it didn't disappear. It just got deferred. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, there is there's a lot of um, you, you know you've got to sort of look at yourself in the mirror every morning. I found and, and say yeah, I can do it. Um, and and I I used to have running through my car at the time, 
you probably laugh at this cassette tapes on a series called Born Rich. Yeah. And they were just constantly telling me that I could do it and that I could make sales calls and you know, just <laughs> that, that, did that did that help you though? It, it did. It, it it helped in one one aspect, but it, it, it was a detriment in another aspect. Like um I jumped out of my VL Commodore at all these appointments thinking, I can do this, you know, I'm feeling on top of the world, I'm bulletproof. So it was good in terms of just having that positive um, you know, reinforcement and, and just someone like almost tapping on the shoulder saying, go for it. You know? mm. But, but the, the only problem with that, because it was American version, um, <laughs> people used to ask me how I was and I'd say, I'm wonderful. You know? <laughs> and it was just, you know, it was, it was a... Did um, you say it with the accent as well? I'm wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing wonderful. Something <laughs> like that. It was just, and then someone stopped me and they said to me, are you really wonderful? Are you feeling wonderful? And I thought, yeah, it's doesn't it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to change that line. But you know, there were a few things like that. And I also um, found that um, that that series, Born Rich, which was great, it was run by Bob Proctor. I think it's dead now. But um, the, and I almost wore these tapes out. I played them so much. But um, there was a lot of in in that series about cold calling. So I was actually doing cold calling. Now, I think cold calling, quite frankly, is a disaster. I think it's got to be warm calling where you, yeah. you sort of know of or it's a friend of the person that you're actually ringing up to touch base with. Mm. But my cold calling was getting me clients that I didn't want. <laughs> you know, so it took me... Um, you know, I was, I was winning the jobs and things like that, but it was great. But I didn't actually take time to work out, no, that person's probably not someone that you'd want to actually yeah. work with. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole another podcast in itself is, you know, finding the right clients and not every client is necessarily going to be good um yeah no i think that's that's good oh yeah that uh, the positive affirmations oh stuff is, still so important yeah. today like i'm still um feeding myself i try not to listen to the radio or read the news because it's you know it's like halloween every day if you read the newspaper i'm, I'm finding that i'm i'm plugging into podcasts which are giving me positive um input and feedback and you know just so that you're really going into each day, even today, with a real positive mindset mm. and enthusiasm. Yeah. So perhaps to, before we wrap things up, tell us a little bit more about your accounting firm, Nitschke Nankaro. What, what type of clients do you have? Yeah, so we, we sort of, um, we're, we're somewhere positioned between a, um, a little H&R block and a PricewaterhouseCoopers, and there's a massive chasm in there. So we do... Um, a lot of um, uh, clients we have would be from sort of tradies, you know, electricians, plumbers, people like that, um, and then moving right into the building industry where we have building clients um, actively involved in their business. It was right up to your um, high net worth um, surgeons, um, lawyers, people like that. Mm. I, I found it interesting that I don't know if it's recently, but your firm has the accounting side but also has bookkeeping and financial advice as well so it's that holistic style is that does that come from I guess a bit of a client need where you know I know I was in, in the sort of boat where you've got like a financial planner you've got an accountant you know you might even have a separate bookkeeper as well and it's all over the place and these people aren't talking to each other 
I guess positioning Nitschke Nankara in this way, did you find that that was based on that sort of strong client need? Yeah, yeah. We, we had clients coming to us saying, can you recommend this sort of person, that sort of person? So, you know, we, we were giving out names and, and we still do in certain situations, but um, what we found our clients love is where, where we can become a one-stop shop, where um, as soon as we've done a tax return for them, we can send that off to a lender, you know, organise finance for them. Um, we can, they can give us their superannuation information and investment details in a, in a meeting and then that afternoon we can be coming back to them and saying, um, look, we think you should be investing in these managed funds or these stocks. Um, also, you know, um, we'd be having situations with clients where we say we need to organise some life insurance scheme. So we've got all that information at our fingertips and um, because the client views um, their accountant as their most trusted advisor, we're making these decisions for our clients as if it was our money and we're just running it by the clients in the end and saying, look, if this was, our, if this was my money, this is where I'd be investing it. If, if I needed life insurance, I'd be going to this company and, and choosing this product. You know, um, if I'm refinancing my house or my investment properties, I'd be going with this lender. They've got the best rate. Um, we've got the best um, business development manager. So, we're, and we, we're not moving into any fields um, that we are not at the cutting edge at. Like we want to be the most, um, uh, you know, um, we, we want to be the best mortgage broker. We want to be the best financial planner. We want to be the best person who writes insurance. And so we need to be really, um, we need to have a detailed area in each of those, a detailed knowledge in each of those areas so that we're giving our clients the best advice. But we're finding we're doing that now. And um, yeah, so it comes together, I guess it's called um, collectively a holistic approach, but it just works so well. The left hand, left hand is talking perfectly to the right arm. When you're sending clients away to other people, um, you know, they sort of not, might not get the same sort of level of service. It all gets a little bit lost in translation. Mm. Um, you know, we send an email introducing the client to the, the, the third party and then they pick it up, they read into it however they would. They'll have an in, a, a meeting with that client, but they can't see the big picture on where this client wants to go, go and what their goals are. Whereas we can embody all of that into one, a one-stop shop. I guess coming up, there's going to be guests. We're going to be talking about building wealth, your personal stories. Yeah, I, wherever I can, um, I'd like to give personal insight into um, what I've learned. I mean, having 1,200 clients, you do see a lot of things that work. And often from, I'll learn more from my top 10 clients than I will from reading books, attending seminars, um, uh, that sort of thing. Um, we're also, yeah, what I want to do is um, invite in um, guests who I've learned, uh, clients who I've actually learned lots of things from, um, and sit them down and pick their brains and find out what um, their unfair advantage has been in their industry, what things they're doing that are working, what they've done that hasn't worked, just to try to come up with um, interesting um, takeaways for our listeners so that they can apply it in their own business, in their own life. Looking forward to it. Episode one, I think, has been a bit of a cracker. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so when, when are we, when's episode two coming out? We're going to aim for every couple of weeks? Fortnightly at this stage. Fortnightly and then hopefully increase. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you. You've been listening to the Accounting Insider Podcast with Kim Nitschke. 